This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Abdul El Saeed, founder of Southpaw Michigan PAC and former executive director of the Detroit Health Department. Thanks for coming on. Jordan, thanks for having me. Of course. So what inspired you to create Southpaw Michigan? We had built quite a movement out of the campaign that I ran uh, in 2018. We knew that a lot of the folks that had been energized to get into politics out of my campaign really came out because of the very clear principles that we were running on. We didn't take a dime of corporate money, believed in the responsibility to provide access to high-quality health care for everybody. But we also knew that a lot of the folks that had come out uh, might not have stayed out. And often people running at the state level, state representative or state senate, they don't have the capacity to make the same kind of noise that a gubernatorial or a congressional run does. So we knew Southpaw was an opportunity to draw their considerable attention to uh, these other candidates that were running on similar platforms wanted to leverage their talents, their times, uh, their engagement to get behind these awesome candidates and get them elected to office. And what overall were the results of the 2018 midterms in your state? You know, when you talk about a blue wave, there's nowhere where the blue wave was more clear than it was in, in the state of Michigan. We uh, swept everywhere from the governor to, to the our, our senator who was up, Senator Debbie Stabenow, um, and, uh, and on down, Attorney General, uh, Secretary of State. We did not flip either the House or the the Senate in our state, although uh, they're extremely gerrymandered. But what is also important is that three ballot proposals that we also got behind, uh, including Proposal 1 to uh, legalize marijuana, Proposal 2 to undo that gerrymandering, and Proposal 3, voter reform, to undo the voter suppression that has been so bad in our state, all three of those passed. And so uh, even though we did not flip the House or Senate, um, we undid the gerrymandering that has created the kind of Senate and House that really can't be flipped. So uh, we look forward to a future that is just that much more uh, progressive because uh, of both the outcomes of the election and the outcomes of the proposal. And the House and Senate, in their lame duck session with the Republican governor, tried really hard to restrict the powers of the incoming Democratic state executive officers. What happened there? They're coming off of uh, several years, uh, two terms, in fact, where uh, there was Republican dominance of the three executive offices of state government in Michigan. And so they wanted to take away the executive powers of the governor, take away the powers, or at least create a, a uh, legislative barrier to the powers of the attorney general, and to take campaign finance away from uh, the secretary of state, which just is, is not consistent with the state constitution. Some of their pushes it passed in some small ways, but most of the biggest ones did not, thankfully. And we were very active in Southpaw uh, to, uh, to show the people power uh, around preventing those things from happening. And what are progressives' top priorities this legislative session? Well, look, in the state of Michigan, campaign finance reform remains a really important one. They call Citizens United on steroids. And, uh, and so there's a lot of work to, uh, to do in Michigan to take corporate money out of our politics. Uh, healthcare is going to remain a really important push. 
doesn't seem that uh, our governor is all that interested in moving forward on a package, but we, I do know that there's leadership in the House uh, to take this on. Um, and then there are issues relevant to, uh, to our Great Lakes and um, our, our, our air quality, uh, as well as our water quality. Right now, one of the worst things that happened in the lame duck session was uh, a, a law passed to build a tunnel underneath the Straits of Mackinac. So if folks don't remember the geography, Michigan sits on about 20% of the world's fresh water uh, in the Great Lakes. Uh, Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are connected uh, by a small uh, piece of a body of water called the Straits of Mackinac, uh, under which there is an oil pipeline that is 15 years past its 50-year expiration date. And in order to save it, the corporation uh, Enbridge that runs it uh, lobbied state government and they passed a law to build a tunnel around around this oil pipeline. And that could be really devastating. Preventing that from happen- happening is going to be a critical uh, key goal. And then we have terrible uh, issues with water, um, the Flint water crisis being the marquee. So many communities across the state of Michigan have been threatened by this chemical called PFAS, uh, which is found in the water in a lot of these communities because of the pollution uh, from large factories. And um, doing something about the PFAS challenge is going to be a really important goal. And do you think that the governor is an ally to these causes? I think for many of them, absolutely. You know, she's expressed that she is interested in uh, in addressing what, what is going to be a challenge with this uh, Enbridge tunnel. Um, she's also uh, interested in uh, other important progressive goals uh, around um, uh, protecting the rights of LGBTQIA Michiganders um, in, uh, who, who, who serve uh, as public servants in the state or contractors to the state. Um, and then also working on issues uh, relevant to to uh, reporting that uh, I hope will have a, a positive impact on addressing the probability that something like Flint ever happens again from the state's perspective. Uh, but on some of them, um, a little bit less uh, focused than, than I hope, and, and maybe she'll get there. I mean, we've got to give them a chance. And what are you and your organization doing to ensure that these elected progressives stay accountable to the movement? Well, you know, the beautiful thing about progressive politics is that we count on people power rather than money power. And so folks know that uh, that if they're deviating from the goals that they ran on, that they will have people who hold them accountable. And uh, we hope that Southpaw will continue to be an institution that helps to organize around those goals. Perhaps the biggest issue of this campaign cycle was healthcare. What what is the state of healthcare in your state? Uh, I think across this this country, uh, we have a, a challenge that has yet to be addressed. There are uh, millions of Americans who continue to suffer without access to the healthcare that they need. And Michigan's no different. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, don't have what they need to be able to survive. And so we've got to move forward, whether it be at the state level or at the federal level, on a single payer Medicare for all system that provides every single person access to healthcare without having to worry about things like co-pays or deductibles or premiums. And that's a responsibility I think we have in every state, including my own. And we've seen some disagreement among Democrats about whether state-level single-payer is possible. What is your perspective on that? I mean, we ran um, and probably produced what is the most, uh, the most detail-oriented single-payer plan that's ever really been put out. And um, people who say it's not possible uh, are unwilling to face the reality that the current system is not possible for too many people who suffer under it. And so we've got to decide that we have the moral clarity and the vision uh, and the political will to stand up and do the right thing. 
Um, and so, you know, we propo- proposed a program called MichiCare. MichiCare would have provided every single Michigander access to healthcare without copays, deductibles, or premiums. And we would have been able to do it, saving the average Michigander $5,000 a year. So uh, the average Michigan family earns about $48,000 a year. They'd have saved $5,000 a year. Uh, and also, <laughs> businesses would have saved a tremendous amount of money too, uh, because they're stuck paying most of the costs. Uh, of healthcare for folks under the age of 65 in our in our country, and so this is something that uh, that will take us standing up to the corporations that have benefited uh, from a healthcare system that has been dominated by them. Um, but it's possible if we're willing to have the political will to do it. We're also seeing a lot of push from progressives about taxation. What is the state of taxation in your state, and what does fair taxation mean to you? Right now, most of the biggest corporations in our country and in my state are subsidized by government. We literally pay them uh, to exist, which just makes no sense because they're the biggest economic entities in the entire country. And it's not useful because what they've done with that money is not create more jobs. They figured out ways to automate and offshore our jobs away. So we've got a responsibility to stand up and say these corporations need to pay for their fair share. Beyond that, I believe in a progressive income tax. And uh, and in Michigan, we've got a flat tax. It, It doesn't make sense because uh, we know that the people who make the most money in the state are people who are, who are benefiting the most from our infrastructure, um, and they should pay their fair share. And how about corporate accountability? Yeah. Well, um, it, it was just announced a couple months ago that uh, GM, one of our largest corporations, was going to up and move uh, out of a factory built only 30 years ago, uh, for which they had to use an imminent domain argument, literally taking over people's lands to build. And 30 years later, they're just going to move um, and they're going to stop making the Chevy Volt out of that, uh, out of, out of, out of that factory. And it, it shows you how little accountability there is to, for these corporations who, again, get paid by their governments and use arguments like eminent domain to have their way. And everybody who loses tends to be people like you and me instead of these big corporations. And so um, the reason why this happens is because we have not stood up yet to say enough is enough with the system of corporate buyout that we've seen here, uh, whereby corporations can uh, move their money and their wealth to influence our elections um, and then continue to lobby those elected officials who they now own uh, to do the things that they want them to do. And that, that, that system cannot continue to persist if at all we want any sort of equity in this, in this state or in this country. And as all of our listeners probably know by this point, we've seen a lot of state-level resistance to Donald Trump and the Republican Congress, now only Republican Senate's far-right agenda. What can the state of Michigan do in response to that agenda? Well, I'm really excited that, uh, that our Attorney General, Dana Nessel, um, newly elected, is, is laser-focused on this issue. And she uh, is, is interested in working with Democratic Attorneys General across this country uh, to stand up to, to Trump's agenda. And, uh, and I look forward to her doing that. Um, and it's one of the critical roles that I think states can play. I do also hope that um, that our state will be a leader in in uh, things like like uh, climate change um, and, and 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 the kinds of reforms that we're going to need. Look, Paris uh, isn't even all the way there. Um, we have to go far further. How far do we need to go on climate change? Look, I think any plan that doesn't get us to one hundred percent renewable energy isn't going far enough, and we don't have much time. Uh, there's a real responsibility to get there, and so um, to me, it's about it's about a setting that as our target, and then B, recognizing that the reasons by which uh, we are not meeting those targets is because we're allowing corporations to continue to pollute our air and our water uh, and, and not have to pay for it. And so we've got to make sure that they're paying the costs 
of the externalities that they're imposing on the rest of us um, and, and therefore eliminating their uh, pollution output. And then we got to rethink the way that we move ourselves, for example, and, 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 and a lot of the major systems uh, that create so much uh, excess waste and, 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 and use so many fossil fuels. Uh, the idea that we don't have the kind of electric vehicle infrastructure that we need to allow everybody to drive these electric vehicles makes no sense. The idea that we continue to use coal uh, makes no sense. The fact that we have not invested in uh, renewable technologies like geothermal, like uh, wind, like uh, water, like solar, um, th th these are areas that make, make sense for us. Um, they're potentially huge opportunities in terms of growing our uh, economy and, and, and creating jobs. Um, but we have not taken them because right now we've watched the oil and gas industry continues to have a chokehold uh, on energy production. And we've got to move forward and we've got to have the political will yet again uh, to get this done. And how do we avoid a regressive approach to climate change, kind of like what we're seeing people protest in France? Yep. Well, look, we've got to hold um, the powerful accountable. And to me, again, it comes back to this 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 struggle between uh, real people and corporations who, uh, under a lot of interpretation of our laws, uh, have been given the rights of real people, which makes no sense. And we've got to continue to discern between those two in our politics, making sure that the brunt of the costs isn't borne by real people like you and me, but instead borne by the corporations who are making so much money uh, off of the system of energy production. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And what about the issue of immigration? Well, look, you know, my parents immigrated to this country. Um, my dad came here in 1978, believing in an America where somebody who prayed like he did, who had a name like his, which is Muhammad, could be just as American as anyone else. And the fact of the matter is, is that America um, is what allowed me uh, to have the kinds of opportunities that I had. And, you know, my stepmom who raised me as a daughter of the American Revolution, I have seen people who look nothing alike and come from very different backgrounds, come together to build something that is greater than the sum, sum of its parts. It's the story of our country. And it's the ideals on which our country was founded. And we've got to go back to those ideals and decide whether or not we're serious about them. We've got a president right now. The only way he can win an election uh, is by riling up a base um, that is largely uh, supremacist, uh, white supremacist, and, um, and focused on this, this, this idea of America that doesn't include uh, so many of us, whether it's because of uh, what we look like, the countries our parents came from, how we pray, how we identify, who we love. And we've got to stand up for America that says that any and all of us 
belong here, that we deserve the same rights, and the notion that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal, uh, are going to be the ideals that we live and we govern by. And so we've got to stand up against this agenda. The border wall makes absolutely no sense. Uh, and we've got a responsibility to stand up for an America where all of us can be included. We saw Trump deliver a predictably bigoted and hateful, untruthful speech on immigration. In response, we saw Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer talk about the importance of border security, something they played into these right-wing narratives that folks like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in their responses, fundamentally rejected. How do we avoid this and really fight back against this corporate democratic tendency to fall into right-wing narratives, to accept this as the way things are, rather than rejecting false premises? Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest challenge that Democrats have. We play to these narratives rather than reframing the conversation. The question that we ought to be asking ourselves is how do we make this an accepting, welcoming, engaging America for everybody because we know that it's not, rather than talking about a border security issue which has been trumped up by this Trump president in a way uh, that is so focused on alienating people who don't look or pray or live in certain communities. And uh, we've got to say that enough is enough. We're not going to play in his frame. We're going to build our own frame and he's going to, we're going to force him uh, to start speaking in our frame. We know the interest is there. You know, you look at the advent of, uh, you know, an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar um, and Ayanna Presley. These women are fundamentally redefining what it means to engage in politics these days. And I, I do think that um, all Democrats would do well to ask what is working in that message and how do we move it forward? And unfortunately, uh, there's this idea in American politics that, you know, you've got to sort of play to the middle. In this moment, first of all, the middle is waning. And then second of all, only about 60%, even in presidential elections, vote. The question becomes, how do you get the rest of your base to vote? Because I know that there are so many young people, so many people of color, so many progressives who just don't come out because they don't believe that their politicians stand for them. And if we're willing to stand up on ideals that engage those folks, not only will we win elections, but more importantly, we'll lead for justice. And I think that's what all of us got into public service for. That's the responsibility I think we have right now. And how do you think this is going to play out in the 2020 election, not just in the Democratic presidential primary, but throughout the country in state and local races? So what I will tell you, right, is, is if you look at the Bernie Sanders platform of 2016, it has diffused into you know, becoming almost the median platform among Democrats. We saw that in 2018, and it's just going to continue in 2020. His ideas, one, whatever happens with whether or not he runs for president or uh, or if he wins, um, his ideas won. And now the question is, can we turn those into the law of the land? That is the work. So, you know, you look at uh, Medicare for All, which, you know, HB uh, 676 had been proposed for decades now um, and only really ever had, you know, 30, even sometimes 60 co-sponsors on the bill. It's got 120 co-sponsors right now. And, um, and that's only going to grow. And so, I see um, this, this focus on economic justice and equity, access to healthcare, a responsibility toward the environment that is incumbent and imminent. Um, I see those as being you know, the, the future for us. And uh, I look forward to what 2020 holds in store. And what are Southpaw Michigan's plans for 2020? Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep um, driving forward. We'll keep framing the debate on, um, on critical issues in our state and in our country. Uh, and we'll keep driving forward 
uh, raising uh, awareness and, 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 and getting boots on the ground for uh, incredible candidates across our state. And so uh, I look forward to continuing to do that. I, uh, I sort of don't exactly know what my next step is and really, really thinking about what that future looks like for me and, uh, and where the opportunity is. But I know that Southpaw, as, as an institution, uh, will continue forward in that goal, and, and I really look forward to seeing what it does. And would you ever consider throwing your hat in the ring for another run for office? Someday. Um, I don't know what, what office or, uh, or, or, or when, but I'd consider it someday. For me, you know, the, the question is not about being elected to office. The question is about leading uh, on a set of values that, that empowers the vulnerable uh, and the powerless and, and, and that speaks truth to power uh, about the issues that we need to drive forward on. Uh, I'm working on a book right now. Uh, it's called Moral Medicine. Focus on an epidemic of insecurity and, and, and reframing our movement around empathy uh, rather than simply identities. Because I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity we have to really bring listening and learning uh, and, and being in community with people uh, back to the center of, of our progressive movement. And um, uh, if there's an opportunity to lead on those values and, and to do good work that really uh, changes the conversation and the facts of life um, for, for people in my state or in my country, uh, then I'll consider it. But, uh, but for now, I want to make sure that, that I'm you know, leveraging whatever skills and talents I have uh, toward leading in that conversation and, and changing facts on the ground for people, even if it's outside of office. And lastly, how can folks get involved in Southpaw, Michigan, and where can they find you online? Absolutely. So uh, check out Southpaw at southpawmi.com. That's S-O-U-T-H-P-A-W-M-I.com. Um, and uh, you can check me out at abdulelsayed.com, A-B-D-U-L-E-L-S-A-Y-E-D. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, Twitter and Insta, I'm at abdulelsayed, A-B-D-U-L-E-L-S-A-Y-E-D. Hope you'll check us out and, um, uh, and get involved. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. And we hope to catch up with you in the future. Jordan, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And thank you for uh, an extensive and thoughtful interview. Of course. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you want to stay up to date with the Millennial Politics podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow Millennial Politics on social media, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.